The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter number 16. We finish our series we started last Easter, uh, asking multiple questions, catechism questions, and answering those questions from the Bible. And so uh, today we end that, and we'll start in the month of March, uh, walking our way through First and Second Thessalonians. Looking forward to that series. I think we'll have a, a great time together. Matthew chapter number 16. Praise the Lord for listening to that great children's choir. There is none like the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the song before that, I, I was kind of in fifth gear. I was ready to preach right then. But uh, if you liked that song, you can carry that out at this very moment in your life because we are about to preach. And so I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, I'm going to ask that you would pray with all of your power while we get ready to preach the Word of the living God. Would you do that for me while I, pre while I pray quietly for us? Let's pray together. Our Lord, we love you and thank you for your kindness and mercy and grace. Thank you for good singing today, Lord, and uh, for our children singing. And I pray that you would raise up generation after generation in this church that would look to Christ Jesus alone for salvation to be the governing principle of our lives. Father, I pray now that as we open this Word and we, uh, we kind of close this series together and we think about um, the church and our core values together, that You would bless us and encourage us. And Lord, help us to be the church in our community and help us to build upon the bedrock of Your Word. And we will love You and thank You today for all that You do. For it is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Uh, so as I said last week, and most of the time when we, when we preach here from the pulpit, we just preach through books of the Bible, and so you'll find that we'll uh, carry that. We'll pick that up next week, speaking from uh, 1 Thessalonians. But in this series, we've kind of uh, moved from Scripture passage to Scripture passage, and so you'll want to have your fingers ready to find your place in the Bible. We're going to look at three passages of Scripture, Matthew 16 first, then Acts chapter number 1 and Ephesians chapter 2, and verse number 14. And today, we simply want to talk about what are the core values of a local church, of Emmanuel Baptist Church, right? What are our core values? Where there are a number of core values. And today, we only want to speak about three of those. And you say, well, what does that mean, our core values? I just simply would say that our core values are the guardrails that keep us focused upon the mission of God for our church. They are the guiding principles that dictate our behavior. And every human being has, whether you know it or not, you have some governing core values in your own individual life. And our church has core values that govern the way that we stay on the rails of doing what God wants us to do. And for the guiding principles that dictate the way that we believe and behave as God's people. And so I simply would say today is a main idea that our core values guide and guard our local church. 
the things that we'll talk today, among others in weeks to come, but uh, these, these principles today, they guide and they guard our local church. And so if you look at Matthew chapter number 16, first of all, by way of uh, context, this passage is the first mention of the word church or iglesia here in the, uh, in the New Testament, right? So Matthew chapter number 16, picking up in verse number 15, he says here in response, well, verse number 30, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets, right? And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, I would say today that if we just simply looked at three core values for our church, the first one would have to be this, above all else, that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our church. He's not only the foundation of Emmanuel Baptist Church, but He is and must maintain and will be the foundation of every local church in the entire world. Jesus Christ is the church's one foundation. Now look with me, if you would, at these verses together. Let me do some explanation, and then I'll give you a couple of points on it. Look back when Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? In verse number 16, Simon Peter. You know, Peter was a great guy. When he got it wrong, he got it really wrong. You know what I mean? Like, there's one point where Jesus says to Simon, he says, listen, get behind me, Satan, right? But when Peter gets it right, Peter always gets it really, really right. And look at what he says. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in verse number 17, Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Our, uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters, uh, they get this passage wrong. Brother, I, I would just tell you this. The, uh, the building of the church of God is not founded upon Peter. He is not the first pope of Rome. What Jesus was saying here is not that I'm going to build my church upon you, Peter, you little pebble. That's what his name means, you pebble. You're easily moved about. You're a little stone. But upon this rock, the statement that you made, that, uh, that flesh and blood did not reveal to you that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, not upon Peter who is just like the rest of us able to fall and mess up and come short of the glory of God, but upon the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is not built upon Peter nor any other human being. The church is built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll have you see in this passage also before I make a couple of statements. Notice that it says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now I don't want you to pass over that too quickly because where are most gates located? Most gates are located for protection at the home front of somebody else's empire or place of dwelling. 
We have a tendency sometimes to think that the gates of hell, like all of the powers of darkness and Satan, he's beating the church up and beating the church up. And man, we're just supposed to hold on and hold out until Jesus takes us somewhere. What I want you to understand is that is not what Jesus understood. Jesus understood that the church was on the march carrying the gospel, the good news. We are winning the battle and we are at the doorpost of the gates of hell carrying the message of Jesus Christ to to all who will believe, we are the victors in Jesus Christ, not the devil and the powers of darkness. Can I get an amen around here? Praise God. I want you to understand something. We're, our backs are not up against the wall. We're not about extinct. We are conquering the world in the name of Jesus. It may not seem like that way to you today, but I promise you this is not the only country in the world. And the message of the gospel advances the farthest in the most hardest places in the world. I've actually been to Caesarea Philippi with my wife at the exact place where Jesus made this statement. I almost brought a picture today to put up on a screen. There's this huge rock face and carved out in there is the standing place. And uh, in the uh, first century, all uh, or a number of false religions and false gods, they sacrificed in that cave right there at that rock. And they called that place the gates of hell. And here is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, standing right there at the doorstep of all false religions. And He says, upon what you have said, I will build my church, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and every false religion in the world will not prevail against it. The church is built and the foundation and one of our core values at this church is that our foundation as a church is based upon Jesus Christ alone. Amen, church? Maybe I would just say two things about Jesus Christ here. It's built upon the person of Christ and it's built upon the work of Christ. You see, in verse number 15 and 16, Peter answers and says to him, who do, he says, who do you say that I am? And look at verse 16. Simon Peter answers and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ is the eternal God of heaven and the Bible. He is as fully God as the Father and the Spirit. He is eternal in nature. He is omnipotent in power. He is omnipresent and He knows all things. He is completely God. And He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God that comes into the world for us to die in our place so that we might have eternal life. Jesus Christ is God. He wasn't a martyr. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't merely a teacher. He wasn't simply a first century rabbi that people followed. He is God. And we will proclaim that as a church. We will stand on that, hold to that, preach that, and teach that. You cannot be a teacher in this church. You cannot be a deacon in this church. You cannot be a member of this church unless you're fully convinced and believe that Jesus Christ is God. As C.S. Lewis said, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or He is Lord. There is no in-between. You cannot have both. 
He is completely false or He is who He said He was. And this church and this book says that Jesus Christ is God. Not only the foundation of His person, but the foundation of His work. Jesus came into the world to die on the cross and to take all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt into Himself. I want you to hear me carefully just for a moment. I wanted to explain to you, if you're here today and maybe you've already beat up on yourself and you've come in here and you feel lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut and you don't need anybody else to beat you up, I want you to know today today, that Jesus died to take away all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt and to take all of that old heart away and to give you a new heart. He came to save you and He loves you and He died for you. But I also, I, I get nervous sometimes when I hear certain men preach the gospel and the fact of the diamond of the gospel that only shows in the light is that Jesus loves you and if you're having a bad life, He'll give you a better life. What I want you to understand, yes, if you're low today, the grace of God will lift you out of the mire. He went from the uttermost to the guttermost. Jesus will restore what is wrong in your life. But I also want you to see the other half of the diamond and that is that everyone in this room, including me, has a offended a holy and a righteous God with your sin. You're not okay and I'm not okay and this isn't neutral ground. We're all bad, bad people. We do bad things. We think bad thoughts. We say bad things. We go bad places. And even if you think that you're a really good place, person, deep within the recesses of your mind, you know in your heart that you're a sinner against a holy God. And what I want you to know is that Jesus came into the world And part of the gospel message is that He came to rescue you from your sinfulness. And I find that to be a a mark, a, a, a line of demarcation in this world. Everybody wants to embrace a gospel that says it'll just make you better and it'll make you not cry so much. And yes, there is a glorious part of the gospel that rescues us from depression and heartache and, and, and brokenness and families that have been destroyed. But I want you to understand that underneath all of it is a bedrock that even if none of that stuff is true of you, you have offended God with your sinfulness and you deserve all of the wrath and the judgment a holy God gives to sinful people but Jesus came to take all of that wrath and all of that judgment into his own life he that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him Jesus went to hell on the cross so that you could go to heaven when you die Hold both parts of that diamond and don't forget to let the other side shine some too. Christ repairs broken people. Christ snatches the heart of sinful people out and puts a new heart of grace and love inside. You have to have both of those. 
For if all of you have is, I want the kind of Jesus that will uh, not make me feel so bad and all to rescue me from my depression uh, and, and fix some of the broken things. And then once things, uh, what I found in my time is that once Christ begins to start helping you in your life and you get your feet up underneath of you, you tend to throw Jesus and the gospel off to the side and say, I got it from here, King. I'm good. I can do it myself. But I find that when people embrace the part of the gospel that says, I'm bad intrinsically, intuitively, just who I am, I'm a bad person. But Christ died for me and saved me. I find that those people tend to live a life of gratitude and thankfulness. And they're not so quick to say, I got it on my own now because they know that they don't. And there's some people in this room right now, you've been living a life trying to make it on your own. And I'm telling you, it'll never last. It will not stand the fires of eternity. You need Jesus. Amen? The foundation of the church. Amen, I like it. That just, that just added 15 minutes to the sermon right there. <laughs> I can see a parent somewhere is reaching for the duct tape. That's not <laughs> the foundation of our church here at Emmanuel is on Jesus Christ our Lord. I was thinking about Samuel Stone wrote this song. You might want to find it sometime. And he said this opening line: "The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord." So, what is our core value? This church is built upon Jesus Christ, His person, and His work. In a few minutes, I'll share a couple of uh, applications for how that fleshes itself out in our church, but I want you to know that. Here's the second one. Look at Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8. The Spirit guides our church. Just move a couple of books over to the right in your Bible. Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8. Here is another guiding core value of our church. I'll pick up in verse number 6. So when they had come together, they were asking Him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that You are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, It's not for you to know the times nor the epochs which the Father is fixed by His own authority. Verse number 8, watch closely. But you, that is our church, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Brothers and sisters, a, a second core value of this church is that the Spirit of God must drive and empower and guide our church. It, you see, if the Spirit of God is not involved in blowing the wind into the sails of our church and leading us in the direction that the Christ want us, wants us to go, then we are nothing more than the Kiwanis Club. We are nothing more than a country club. We don't have enough money to be a country club. We're, we're nothing more than a bowling league, all right? I'm telling you, the Spirit of God must be the driving, guiding principle of our church. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Let me give you just a few thoughts about this idea here. I would say that the church is empowered by the Spirit of God. You, will see, you shall receive power after that, the Spirit of God has come upon you. And what is the power for? For us to be witnesses in Raleigh and in Wake County and in North Carolina and the United States 
and every nation in the world. And the Spirit of God will empower us to carry the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. Both locally and globally, the power of God unto salvation will be driven from this church by the power of the Spirit of God who uses the Word of God to point people to the Son of God that they might become sons and children of God. This church is not built upon gimmicks, nor prizes, nor talent, nor ability. It is not built by proxy. It is built by the Spirit of the living God. Not only does the church receive its power from the Spirit, the Spirit of God develops the character of Christians. We won't take time to turn there today, but 2 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 18, you will find that the Spirit of God is responsible for developing the Christ-like character in His people. And I want you to get this straight today. This church is not just about making uh, you know, nickels and noses and finding people and sitting them in a pew and saying, you got saved. And salvation that doesn't lead naturally to discipleship and a transformation of character is no salvation at all. Jesus would be dumbfounded to think that you thought somebody could be saved without being His disciple. We have a tendency in our Baptist world to think, I'll get saved and then down the road I'll become a disciple. Jesus had no such gospel. Jesus said this, lay down your life, pick up your cross, which is death, Pick up death and follow me. So if you're not willing to do that, you're not willing to be a believer in Jesus. Right? Lay down your life, pick up your cross, follow me. The Spirit of God develops our character over our lifetime. And I would say to us today, one of our core principles here is that the Spirit of God is driving and guiding our church. He does that through the empowerment to evangelize the lost, but He also does that to transform believers. Hey, I want to say something to you. If you're a believer in this room today, all of us are struggling with sin. We, we, we all come, right? We're all messed up people. But I... I would say for you to be cautious and careful. If you say, I've been a believer for 30 years, but you can't tell me privately, you know what, in the last 20 years, God has delivered me from this. God has transformed my character here. I used to be like this, and by God's mercy and grace and the help of the Spirit, I'm now like this. If you are the, let me put it this way, if you're the same in your character today as you were the day you got saved, you didn't get saved. Mmm, just felt that in my soul. <laughs> I hope you're not mad at me telling you that, but I, I want you to understand true salvation produces true transformation. Not total, not complete. I don't think anybody in this room would say that we're perfect. But if you said a prayer and got dunked underwater and became a part of a church sometime in your life and nothing has changed, you're still the same person that you were before you went under the water. 
No genuine transformation into Christ-likeness and love and joy and peace and obedience to the Word of God. There's not any marked difference in your life. Hey, man, now I just, just remember this verse. This is helpful because now I'm in good company. Jesus said you should know them by their fruit. If you don't have fruit, you're not a part of the right tree. Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad He's on my side, all right? So if you're not growing, something's wrong. Part of the core value of this church is that the Spirit of God guides us. He empowers us to evangelize the lost, and He develops the character of those who believe. Here's the third thought. He comforts the afflicted. John 14, verse number 16 and 17 John 14, 16, and 17. Aren't you glad that the Spirit of God, Jesus said, when I leave, I will send the Comforter. You don't have to raise your hand like me today, but is there any believer in this room today in your own heart? You say, man, I, I need comfort today. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. There's things in my life that aren't right. I feel chaotic. I feel at the end of my rope, and I need comfort. I want you to know that the Spirit of God, this church preaches and teaches that part of our core value is that the Spirit guides our church. He empowers us to evangelize the lost. He develops the character of believers. And those who are in this room today who are hurting at the deepest levels of your soul, I want you to know that the Spirit of God will comfort and give grace and healing and restoration and He can put your life back together. That's what we offer the community that's around us. Come to Christ and be put back together by the Spirit of God. Yeah. Well, let me give you one last point. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. Keep turning to the right. Ephesians chapter number 2. So, what are a few of our core values? Our church is built upon Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God drives and guides all that we do. And here's the third one. The world is our mission field. The world is our mission field. Look at chapter 2, verse number 11, picking up, and then in verse number 14. Therefore remember that formerly you... Uh, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. That's just Gentiles and Jews, okay? By the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who made both groups, that is, Jews and Gentiles, made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of dividing wall by the abolishing in His flesh to the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in Himself He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Brothers and sisters, let me just take just a quick moment for you today and say to you that the world is our mission field as a church. And that is a core principle and value of this church. 
Jesus is saying here that yes, God brought into the world the Jewish nation and He, he brought the Messiah through the line of the Jew and He called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. But if you'll go back and read your Old Testament, you will find that the reason why God called Abraham in the first place was to bless all of the nations in the world who would turn to the king that would come from the line of Abraham. The whole design of the Bible is not to be bifurcated into Jew and Gentile, but that it's the Jew and Gentile and every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every kindred, every people group would come to believe in Jesus Christ and therefore be brought into the family of God. And one of the core values of this church is that we will seek and pursue with fervor and all of our might to reach every nation in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The nations that lie over the seas and the nations that live in our community. You see, the Lord has been gracious to the city of Raleigh to bring more than 26 different nationalities into the local area of Raleigh, not far from our 27608 zip code. God has brought the nations here. Are we reaching out to everyone that we can to share the good news of Jesus with them? Let me just carefully say to you, let us watch ourselves that we seek not to build a church that looks just like us, let us seek to build a church to the glory of God that looks like the population of heaven. Amen? The world is our mission field. What about your neighbor? What about the attendant at the gas station where you get gas? What about the teller at the bank? What about the folks at the grocery store? What about the people in the cubicle next to you? I know that in a workplace, it can be difficult and there are rules to follow. So be careful. All of my business folks, listen to me today. You have to be careful. You have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You need to think carefully about how you're going to witness for Christ in your everyday work-a-day world. But some way, somehow, you have to realize that all of us as a body of Christ here at Emmanuel, we are on mission with God to reach the nations. And so we begin by reaching the nations, by we begin by looking who's around us and looking for opportunities to love on those people and to care for those people and eventually ask for open doors from God above who might empower us by the Spirit of God to share Jesus with broken and hurting people. Part of the work of our church is say, how is it that we, how, how do we do missions and how do we do evangelism? By looking and first of all, from a big view and saying, the entire world is our mission field. We are not honing down on one particular people group. We don't have a target group. Everybody in the world, we are called to take the gospel to. And in just the couple minutes that I have left, I just want to share with you maybe two or three ways that a sermon like this and these kind of core values really puts the rubber on the road, really meets us in the way that we do church at Emmanuel. 
Here's the first one. Our interaction with the lost world must have a road to Jesus. So our interaction with the lost world must have a road to Jesus. So for instance, uh, that road, notice I didn't say it has to be a direct road. It could be direct or it could be indirect. But there must be, however we do evangelism here, however we reach the lost, there must be a road somewhere back to Jesus Christ. Why? Because He's the foundation of this church. So for instance, there are times where we uh, send a team and we go up to uh, Boston this last time and we, uh, we did some building projects there for a local kids club. But we didn't just go up there and do a building project for a local kids club and leave. You see, the idea was to partner with a local church and to be there all week and to try and get some ongoing interaction with the children and with those who are working there to create some inroads so that the church that is there might share the gospel. The purpose is not to build a building and leave. The purpose is not to dig a well and leave. The purpose is not to feed people and leave. The purpose is to meet the human needs of people around the world and at the same time be using that as an outlet to bring them to Jesus, whether it's directly or indirectly. There are times where we do evangelism or missions in our church and the whole direct purpose is for us to teach or preach or do some sort of evangelistic crusade or pass out flyers or bring people in our church. That's direct evangelism. Sometimes we go to places and we are building relationships. We are showing people that we care and that we love and that we're going to be there for a long time. But all that's behind that as well is not just to create friendships, but to understand that the people that we're speaking to are not in relationship with Jesus. And if they die in that condition, they will have to meet their maker in a lost position. And we desperately won't, don't want that to happen. So we meet the needs of people while taking them to the cross. We're careful that we respect and honor and show dignity to human beings that are created in the image of God. We don't just run up to people and say, here's a sandwich. Do you want to hear about Jesus? Oh, you don't? Give me my sandwich back. That, that really, that's not good. But you know what? There's a lot of lost people in the world that think that's how we operate. So notice and hear your pastor carefully. So we're not going over to Millbank at the end of March to make ourselves feel good to do a day of service and then to bail on those folks. We're going over there as a first step, a first reach to say, you're not far from us and we love people and we want to help. We want to help with the children. We want, to, we, want to, we want to care. And here's an event. And at the same time, we're going to continue to look for opportunities with your leadership for what you're doing in this neighborhood that we might come along as a church and serve whether that be tutoring, whether that be uh, bringing children in on Sunday to be able to be a part of Sunday school and a, and a children's church, uh, whether that look like partnering with other agencies. and I, We want to continue to serve. But part of what underlies all that is that we know that men and women and boys and girls that don't have Jesus don't go to heaven. And we want to share the truth with them when they trust us when we've shown that we care 
and we show that we'll continue to be there. We're building a relationship. So yeah, we do evangelism directly. We also do it indirectly. But all that we do as a church for outreach is built upon Jesus Christ. Let me see if I can get this one. So you need to have that in your mind to understand the leadership and your deacons and where your staff is driving. And every year as we plan and we work. So there are a thousand things in the world that are good ideas to do. And we want other folks to partake in doing all of that. But when it comes to the mission of this church, you know, let me, let me like for instance, um, let me just use some sort of wacky illustration that nobody would ever ask me. So uh, we, wanna, we just want to give, uh, we just want to be the church that gives white roses to everybody in all of Raleigh. I, I, don't, I just use something that's cockamamie, way off to the side. So it might be a really good idea to give white roses to everybody in Raleigh, and I'm behind it. That's wonderful. That's good. And you know what? It might cheer somebody's day up, and we want that. that that's, a, that's a good thing, but it's not for our church. Unless... Giving white roses is intrinsically tied to the mission of taking Jesus to lost people. Now you can work out whatever you want in your mind, whatever idea, unless the idea is tied directly to the foundation of the church, of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and bringing people to the gospel. We're behind it. We love it. We want to beautify our neighborhood. We want to be a safe haven for everyone. We are behind those things. But what drives our church is Jesus Christ. Y'all with me this morning? Let me give you another little quick illustration. Number two, our ministries must operate in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. The ministries of this church must operate in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're here and you're a believer today and you get a little nervous by, by, by me saying supernatural power, then you just don't understand. The only way you ever got saved was by supernatural power of Jesus Christ. We believe in this church that all of the ministries of this church should be guided and driven and pushed and empowered by the Spirit of God. And say, Steve, what does that look like? I'm trying to work on this as a leader of this church going forward, but you can help me. I, I just can't help but going back to the line of that song. Brethren, won't you pray with all of your power while we try and preach the Word? We, I have a sneaking suspicion that not 10% of us in this room prayed while we were singing that, that God would use the sermon to His glory and the resounding power of the Spirit of God would be involved in it. We must be a church that's driven by prayer to the Spirit of God for His help. The only way lost people get saved is when the Spirit of God convicts them. I can share the gospel. I can speak with somebody. But God alone is the one who opens up the heart for redemption. And He does so by way of the Spirit of God. So all of our evangelism, what's coming up in March, and all of the things we do with our youth, and I was just reading there, I mean, Mark Scott, our youth doing wonderful, wonderful things, but we need parents. I don't care whether you had a parent of the youth or a parent of the children. 
We need parents that are fervently praying week in and week out for the Spirit of God to empower Mark and our youth and our children and our church. We need the people of this congregation to be fervently praying for the Spirit of God to open up doors of evangelism, to grow our church and our community that we might see those people come to faith in Christ. And we need the people of our church fervently praying that God would extend the borders of our missions, endeavors in this church in Raleigh and North Carolina and the United States and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We need the people of this church to be fervently praying the Spirit of God God would bring people to faith in Christ in China and Indonesia and in Turkey and in Israel and in Palestine and in Afghanistan and in Iraq and right here in the city of Raleigh. And if we're not praying fervently for the Spirit of God to empower the ministries of our church, what are we really doing? We have a men's meeting that's meeting tonight. Your men, you're welcome to come a part of that. We have our women's seminars. We have Sunday school. And the Spirit of God must be driving those and guiding those. And we have, must develop a culture of prayer in our church that the Spirit of God would drive all of those ministries. And then maybe I'll just finish with this. Our strategy as a church must include the nation's. Our strategy as a church must include the nations. What does, that, what does that look like? It looks like when we give and the way that we set up our budgets here, there are operating expenses. We need to make sure we're going to, you're going to hear in a few minutes. We got to take care of our own facilities because this is kind of our home base. We want people to come here. And so money well spent. I don't think we do anything outlandish here. There are things that we have to take care of. That money needs to be spent on that. We need to think carefully that we are hardwired to say the funds that come into our church, how do they go for the reaching of the nations in Raleigh and around the world? Well, there's going to be a thousand different ways, and I don't have time today to deal with all the caveats. Obviously, you know, we got to we got to keep people paid. We got to have the lights on. We got to make sure the water works. And by the way, on your way out today, make sure and turn off all the lights. Stewardship will be happy with me. All right, I'm going to save our money. We want to do right. All of those things need to be paid for. But in the back of our mind, we have to be driven by a passion and a core value that says the nations are at stake. How are we going to get at them? It drives our strategy. I'll tell you, it's, uh, let me just share this with you quickly. It's, it's even changed some of the way that I do missions in our church here. So we continue to go to Boston and El Salvador. We'll be in uh, Eastern Europe. Some of you have been with us to Slovenia. And uh, over, the la over the last eight years, I've turned our missions here so that where we're going, we're trying to partner with existing churches made up of nationals in that local area so that rather than Westerners coming in and saying like an idiot, let me show you how to do it, we're simply coming in and humbly serving and say, how can we equip? How can we help? How can we serve you to reach the nation in which you are already in? And then we go places with a humble heart. And then we're carrying the gospel both locally and globally. For His glory and the good of the people. Amen.
We've got to be thinking that way. I would say you need to be thinking that way in your own life. What can I give? What, what, what can I let go of that I might be able to give for the furtherance of the gospel? What can I do? How can I pray? Where can I serve? So that Jesus is our foundation and the Spirit of God is driving and guiding everything and that the heartbeat and the passion behind us is that Jesus wants every tongue and tribe and nation and people to be in that Revelation chapter number 5 around the throne worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How can we reach the people of the world? And if you stay up at night worried about anything, let it be that. How do we make Jesus preeminent in our church? How do we pray in such a way that we sincerely see the supernatural power of the Spirit of God? And how do we be concerned for all people everywhere? Would you bow your heads with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just a second, we're going to sing together. Okay. This is kind of a this is kind of a finishing this series, our core values. Certainly not all of them today. It would take multiple sermons for that, but at least three of them. Jesus is our foundation. The Spirit guides our church. And we want every person in the world to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what guides our church. What guides your life? I know maybe you have some other core values and those are wonderful. I ask you as a church today and as an individual, would you adopt some of this as the very fabric of your life? In your small part of the world, in your family, in your work, in your life, and you'd walk out of here today and say, if that preacher will ever stop talking, all oh, the burning in my soul, I'll leave out of here and I'll make Jesus King and I'll pray that the Spirit of God would aid in everything and I'll try and share the Gospel with anyone and everyone I possibly can for His glory. Maybe just pray and ask the Lord to help you right now. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.